good to go. With more of the Matt Wyatt Show. Coming to you direct and live. Here we go. Hour number two off and running with you. I'm Matt in the Bureau, the Farm Bureau Insurance Studio. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. You can text, call, or comment. Text me on the country, please, and text line. I'll give you the number coming up. Comment on the Murray West Live thread over here. If you're on YouTube, Facebook, Exeter, watching the show, you can comment over there. Drop it on the uh, in the comment section. pops up here on the Murray West Live thread. Or you could call me on the Divini Equipment phone line, Divini Equipment, Madison and in Jackson. They say that patience is a virtue. And if so, a very virtuous person named Chris is hanging on the Divini Equipment phone line because he sat through that entire blowhard rant I gave you at the end of the first hour. He waited patiently and he's still hanging on. And I do appreciate it, Chris. Thanks for calling. What's up? Man, that was that was awesome. I enjoyed every minute of that. It was <laughs> worth the wait to hear you preach like that. I've been saying that same thing for years. But I called back because, like, what is wrong with some of these people? Like, why in the world would you want to pick Alabama as your rival? Yeah, I don't understand that. You have to beat, you have to beat people to actually be a rival with them. <laughs> Come on, people. I mean, this is ridiculous. Yeah, like, this is a little ridiculous. Ninety-five percent of the state fans looked at the schedule and went, oh, my God, Alabama's not on there. Yay. And then we got some people that we need to do wellness checks on that are like, oh, my God, we're not playing Alabama. I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> I mean, you could, you would you would be more online to say LSU is the rival because we beat them a couple times in 20 years. We haven't beat Alabama in almost 20 years. This yeah. is ridiculous. Like, I would say, and I want to make a comment on, if you're going to pick a rival for Mississippi State, I think the most organic rivalry that has showed up in the, in the SEC in a long time is State and Texas A&M because we beat them as much as we lose to them. <laughs> well, and then, and then you also Arkansas. I mean, the teams that look like us on the field, as far as maroon and, and red or whatever you want to call it, different shades of red, those are the teams that we play the best in. Mm. Yeah. I mean, and the only rival that Alabama's got would either be Georgia or Auburn. That's it, because nobody else beats them on a constant basis. Yeah. They're their own rival. See, when they go on the see field, for they... me, like if you look at it from Alabama's standpoint, Chris – Okay, and let me and let me reset it here for people who just tuned in. Earlier today, y'all, in the first hour, Rooster called and he was like, "Hey, Matt, got a question." He said, "Past Ole Miss, beyond Ole Miss, who is State's rival? Who is State's rival next after Ole Miss?" And I couldn't come up with an answer. Okay, so that's what set this off. Well, Chris, here's what I would say regarding Alabama. I feel like you could go really 10, 15, almost 20 years now of Alabama's rivals being number one Auburn, number two LSU. And mm-hmm. even though even, even though we were always told it was Tennessee, it really wasn't. I mean, for the better part of the last decade and a half, the game we've looked to every year is Alabama-LSU because there was always a lot riding on it, but it did go back and forth a little bit, to your point. Or, or, if, you want to say, or if you want to say 
you know, some people are like, oh, you know, the school up north from Dan Mullen's playbook is a rival to Alabama. How? You beat them twice. Yeah. You beat them twice. I, I understand just, this more than most people have, but I think you beat here, them twice in the last 30 years. Okay, here's what I think. I, all right, State has played Alabama a bunch of times over the years. See, and that's a little different than an Ole Miss. And, you know, Ole Miss had a stretch when Vaught was a head coach where they didn't they went they went decades without even playing Alabama. They didn't play each other. Because the man was smart. He was smart. But see, State, you're ninety miles apart. Okay, and that's what I think. I think a lot of people are affected by Yes, they've played a bunch over the years. Just one of those things you do, and I, I always enjoyed it. For me, like selfishly, I didn't mind going over there every other year, just because, like, going back home. That's that's kind of home territory. But that's personal. That, that has nothing to do with the overall topic here. Yeah, but I think too the proximity on Highway 82, and what I have found, Chris, is here in recent years with the way that college football developed and exploded. Alabama was one of, really kind of the team, but one of the teams who they used the whole environment sort of to their advantage, and they had Saban at the right time. They're winning. Their roster of players is so separated and different than other college rosters. Alabama's roster of players for years now has been closer kin to an NFL roster than kin to State's roster. Several years ago, yep. State played Alabama, Chris, and Dan Mullen said that week, he said Alabama has more five stars on its punt team than we have on our entire team. The media giggled <laughs> when he said that. He didn't crack even so much as a smile because he meant it literally because it was the literal truth. Okay, so because of that recent growth and like separation of them from us and really everybody else for that matter, the one thing TV crews would try to use as some sort of storyline going into a game because, let's be honest, they couldn't realistically tell you why State was going to beat them because they weren't. And they would come in there and go, separated by 90 miles of pavement on, on Highway 82. And, stretch, you know, and that's the one thing they talked about. Well, who cares how close they are? They may be close geographically, but their rosters are are universes apart. That's just the facts. So the question is, is this, like, I mean, yes, if you're talking about other sports, sure, we could be a rival with Alabama because we beat them a lot in basketball, we beat them a lot in baseball. But when, Matt, answer this, when is the last time that Mississippi State beat Alabama in football when they were actually good? When they were good, yeah. I mean, 1980, is that it? Like, is that the only time in our history that we've actually beat them when they were good? Yep. Yep. That's I mean, mm-hmm. because the rest of the time, the rest of the time, they're like, yep. you know, four or three win teams. Yep. Yeah, that's about right. So, I mean, it's. But anyway, y'all have a good day. I appreciate <laughs> the rant. Thank you. Appreciate it, Chris. It was fun. Yeah, like I right, said, 90. See, I was in school when we beat them three years in a row uh, in the 90s 96, 97, 98. Uh, 96, they had a pretty decent team that year. We, we caught them at the right time and, uh, and beat them. And that was actually Coach Stallings' final year as the coach. Then in 97, we went over there to Tuscaloosa, and we, we beat them pretty handily, ran the ball really well. J.J. Johnson had a huge day. 
I think we had one touchdown pass in the game. We should have had a couple more. It could have really been a blowout. It kind of was a blowout as it was, but they were not a very good team in 97, um, especially in the line of scrimmage. They just were not very good. They got better pretty quickly in 98, but still weren't as good as us. We beat them. And I would say, again, I mean, they were decent in 98 and improved, but then they had an SEC championship team in 99, and we played them a pretty good game in Tuscaloosa, but they won it. Um, but that would be about it. You know, Coach Croom clipped them in Tuscaloosa in 06 and then got Saban in 07. But again, you know, their team in 08 was so, so different in 08 than it was the year before in 07 and has been really ever since. It's an interesting topic. You know, hats off to Rooster for bringing it up earlier. I, I guess one thing, though, that sort of spurred this thing on is I just I can't quite understand it myself. I mean, that's that's all I'm saying is I, I can't quite I can't quite get it. <laughs> Where does that come from? Going okay, that's the the really, and to me, I mean, this is a thing for me. Um. There just simply has to be a little bit of both ways to it. it. To me, it does. I I know some people don't. Somebody commented a little bit ago and said, number one, you don't have to beat somebody for it to be a rival. Number two, the other folks don't have to necessarily recognize it for it to be. But to me, it seems like it needs to. Louvier texted us earlier. He said, Rooster is correct. He said, my LSU friends all admit to the Ole Miss rivalry. They all tell it at the end of the national anthem, no matter who they're playing. All right, Tony Joe, country-pleasing text line. He says, um, the sports agents are now making even more from college players in IL. Yeah, interesting how that works. Tony, pay very close attention. I, I'm not a conspiracy theory guy. I'm just saying, because this isn't a conspiracy. It's just a fact. Look at it very closely. You know who some of the most uh, argumentative, adamant, just pro-NIL pay the players voices in the country are? The ones who will, are the, are the ones who are the most vocal about it lawyers who either are agents or want to be all you gotta do is pay attention uh, Earl in Madison text the show he says I don't personally know any Ole Miss fans who think of Alabama as our rival he says Chris needs to quit drinking he couldn't just stay away from Ole Miss for even a few minutes Dennis formerly of Omaha text the show and said, okay, he's, he's, he's quoting the Apostle Paul, quote, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. He says the Apostle Paul's words that could be applied to social media. There's no question about it. No question about it. And I will say too, Dennis, like, I had an experience early, early, early in my, I guess you'd call it my career as a host of radio shows, talk radio shows, of learning that, you know, you, 
You get a little loose and you say something, you can't get it back. You're going to wind up apologizing for it and feeling bad for it. And, and, and I had one of those moments. I think it was the first year that I ever did a talk radio show. So this would have been like 2008. And there was some story out there about coaching. We got the, we got, something got said in the conversation that was just, just slightly off color, sort of making fun of the situation. And we got to laughing and really got genuinely tickled, but it's on the air. It was kind of unprofessional. Well, it, as soon as I walked away from there that day, I thought, man, you know, that didn't feel right. And something about that didn't feel right. And then I got a phone call and, 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 and talked to the guy. And that's when it hit me in the course of talking to him. It's like, hey, what, look, I can't get on the radio, okay, or really even online and forget that these are real people. <laughs> They're not some characters in a movie. Okay, that they're actual real people who you're going to see them and you may talk to them. And that's just what they're doing for a living. So what if we consider them a celebrity or whatever? They're real people. And sometimes you got to remember that. Unnamed texture says Randy Thomas, pancake block, uh, freed J.J. Johnson down the sideline for an 80-yard touchdown. He crossed his arms and looked up to the MSU stands as J.J. went down the sideline. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And wasn't that our – we had a fourth down play? Wasn't it a fourth down play that happened? It was like fourth and one or fourth and two, and we just go like power. Pancake block. He pops it and whew, to the house. And that was fun. Bulldog Barney Texas Show, Country Pleasing Text Line, says, Good evening, Matt and Beaver. What's your take on the defensive staff Coach Levy will put together? Great show. Have a blessed day and signed Hail Stay. We talked about that earlier. Um, right before we started the show, some of those reports were popping up out there on Twitter. I think it started with Ross Dellinger, you know, formerly of Sports Illustrated. Um, but he tweeted, and it's a couple of hours ago now, that state is finalizing the hire of Alabama linebackers coach, special teams coordinator Coleman Hutzler as defensive coordinator. And yeah, we talked about that a little bit. I was pretty critical of people that are, are critical before they let things play out and get on here and overreact and act a fool and need to just shut up. But it's all a toss up. I mean, sure, you'd love to go get somebody you know has been a coordinator in the Southeastern Conference for 10 years, right? Because that's experience that, that's so valuable. But even those don't always work out. They don't always work out. You don't know. It's a young guy who, I would say some of the biggest positives, he spent time with Saban. He spent time at multiple SEC schools. Okay, So he understands sort of the, probably the recruiting and the grind and the fact that navigating an SEC schedule is just different than navigating them in other conferences. It's just different. And... I like the fact that there's SEC experience there. I also like the fact that there's a, and I mentioned this earlier, a familiarity between Levy and this guy. Like they've been together, coached together. You could find examples where young coaches or first-year coaches, and they wind up together on a staff, but they don't have any familiarity, and they kind of there's some bumps along the way that maybe, maybe just maybe there being a pre-existing relationship, working relationship then you maybe can avoid avoid some of those bumps um, along the way. 
Let's say about Shula Legba on the uh, Murray West live thread. Let's see if I can get this to pull up here, which I can't. Here we go. He says, Shula started a mini rivalry when he took the Croom Award away, or tried to. It was started by Bryant, so the higher-ups said no. Hmm. I guess I had forgotten that. I tell you now, that was an interesting time. Now, it, certainly, you know, the Shula teams were not, not, not great teams. Okay, and and certainly Coach Cream's teams weren't great teams. But I'd forgotten some of that. You know, it was more fresh back then. It was several years ago, right? Fifteen years ago. But Croom, former Alabama player, they had a ward that was actually named after him. And now he's the coach at another school, and he's recruiting against you. And so Shula decided to get rid of the award. <laughs> like, how, how are we going to recruit against this guy? And he got an award over here named after him, you know. And who knows what was said behind the scenes. And then turned out Shula didn't have the, the sway to actually pull that off. And they said, no, it's going to stay like it is. And then and then Kroon beats him. They fire him in 06, and then they beat him in 07. And that was, I tell you now, that was an interesting time. And ever since, I mean, since then, Saban has never put a team on the field at Alabama since then that even remotely resembled that 07 team. Didn't even remotely resemble it. That 07 team was, at Alabama was kind of like somebody used the word depleted. Roster was kind of depleted, but they were just kind of like every other roster out there. It looked like a college team. <laughs> And then starting in about 2008, they hadn't looked much like a college team except for just a handful of times uh, the rest of the time. Now, G. Bama Boy points out, he says, Shula was at Bama while we were on probation, and that's why he failed. See, I didn't remember that. So, again, it was an interesting time, a topsy-turvy time. I just didn't remember there being a probation deal that really had a huge effect. Maybe... You know, you have some details and can remind me of it. I just didn't remember that. Um, Because if they were, right, then you'd be saying that that was on the heels of who? Frenchione? Is that who it was? Or was it DuBose that got him in trouble? Late 90s, early 2000s. They were still on probation from that? I tell you what, you know, Anyway, I, I just think that all of this goes back to a question that was raised earlier about rivalry. You know, what is it? And for State, who would it be beyond Ole Miss? And from a football perspective, I just don't think there is one. I really don't. Not the way that I look at them. Possum Neck Joe tells us on the Country Pleasing text line that Coleman Hutzler coached Debo Samuel at USC. Man, that guy's amazing. I mean, he's, to me, in San Francisco, Debo Samuel's got to be one of the more underrated, underappreciated, great players in the NFL right now. 
Now that, that's my view on it. Underrated and underappreciated. Hey, real quick. Speaking of the NFL, did y'all see this? Cowboys coach Mike McCarthy had surgery today. Looks like appendicitis. He was okay. So this morning, Mike McCarthy, head coach Cowboys, had abdominal pain. Went to the team's medical staff. They realized what it is. Swoop him up to the hospital. Here we are five days before the Eagles game, the biggest game of the year. They're going to host the Eagles Sunday night. They sent him to the hospital, did get a diagnosis, acute appendicitis. They go in there, appendectomy, remove it, sew him up. Man's going to coach on the sideline Sunday night. (laughs) What do you think about that? Here's what it says. Cowboys coordinators Dan Quinn, Brian Schottenheimer, and John Fossil will run practice while McCarthy, who just turned 60 last month, recuperates. His absence complicates the process since he is the offensive play caller this season. Man, what a time. What a what a bit of, like, totally out of nowhere adversity. Just a little bit of adversity there for the Cowboys the week that they're getting ready to play the biggest game of the year. Division rival Eagles at home. Lost to the Eagles in Philadelphia earlier. All right. Hour two rolling up. National what day? I'll tell you what it is. Coming up next, I'm Matt. Stick around. Winning the game, or even losing the game. You're going to hear about them all and get to talk about it with Matt Wyatt right here, right now. Back with you. I'm Matt in the Bureau, the Farm Bureau Insurance Studio. Better late than never, I guess. Hey, B. Isn't that pleasant music from Always Sunny? I keep forgetting to use my my own bike bell we've got here in the studio. Let's see, A.B. on the Murray West live thread says, Matt, I really like the new D.C. hire for MSU. It looks like Levy is assembling one heck of a great staff. I like the combo of local. For example, Turner, Bumpus, and new coaches. Great mix. And then he went on to say, Coleman Hutzler is currently the special teams coordinator, outside linebackers coach at Alabama. This is enough qualifications for me. If Nick Saban hires you, you are elite and legit. Legba. 
He says he used to get so excited before the Alabama game. He says, I knew it was the best game we would play under Jackie and Croom. It was true. Saban completed, completely outclassed us, though. Probably won't beat Saban ever again. That's from Legba. And then he said he's an even better recruiter of assistant coaches. He says, Bear Bryant logic again. The best coaches have the best players and the best chance of winning. That's from Legba on the Murray West live thread. So, yeah, if you're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, turn it into the show, just drop a comment right there on the comment section. It pops up on the Murray West live thread. Murray West is a contract embroidery company. Embroidery. So we're talking about, like, you need your logo on shirts and hats or whatever the case is for your brand or your team, your business, your company, your church, your radio station, whatever. Send it up there and the kind of folks you want to do business with. And you can find them online, read more about them at murraywest.com. That's M-U-R-R-Y, murraywest.com. Hey, B. <laughs> the mic came on. <laughs> I heard. <laughs> Background. Let's see. So you can hear. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that one works. <laughs> that one so, works. <laughs> oh, now this one's back too. All right. <laughs> it was one of those where like I could hear you rustling in the background. And a little bit ago I hit the music. I said, hey, babe. But I didn't hear you. And now I know. And it's like I heard the rustling going on. So I just had to had to point. Hey. Hey, Beave. Hey, Matt White. Did you know that today... How would you know this? Today is National Microwave Oven Day. I didn't. <laughs> so here's a, here's a question for you. What is the number one best microwavable food item? This is an opinion question. What's your opinion? Number one. Things uh, you want to cook in a microwave. Uh, there's so many. What? Okay, for, for some reason... Pops in my brain is the Red Baron tiny breakfast pizzas. Come on with it. With the biscuit crust. Come on. I know what you're Remember talking about. Remember those? Yes. Mm-hmm. Here, here's my one, two, three. See if you agree with this list at all, Beaver. Here's my one, two, three. Number one, popcorn. Number two, Pop-Tarts. And number three... Hot pocket. <laughs> well, Jim Gaffigan. <laughs> Points for well, knowing. Points for knowing. Thank you. Well, that brings a question now that I have for you. What? How do you like your popcorn? You know, there's so many popcorns out there. Plain yes. butter, extra yes. butter, movie theater butter, salted, not salted, caramel, all that. Hey, I got to say, I like kettle corn because the sweet stuff, the kettle corn. But I have to be in the right mood for it. I mean, generally, I want some microwave popcorn that is not sweet. I, you know, and I'm, I, there's a brand. Is it, oh, what's the brand? And the box, it says on there, movie popcorn. That's what I want. Although now that reminds me, Beaver, this is the time of year to get go to like Walgreens and get that big can, that big tin of the three different kinds of popcorn, the hol holiday decorative can. 
Oh, yeah. Walmart is stocked up. Are they? Yeah. Okay. You ever notice that on those, the three flavors being caramel, popcorn, cheese, and butter, you ever notice that they put twice as much caramel popcorn in there as the other two? Have I noticed? Why do they do yes. that? I, I, I guess maybe it's cheaper. That's probably the answer, but it's not. It's pretty loose. I don't like how they do it. Yeah. And have you noticed that the popcorn, it's not as good as it used to be in those tins either. Yeah, Beaver, to quote you, have I noticed? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of like them. I'm, I'm one of those. I'm, I'm okay with it. And I'll get a big handful of that caramel popcorn all at once. I'm okay with it. Like that's kind of dangerous this kind of year, but let me just say it. It is National Microwave Oven Day. The history is that back in 1945, by accident, American engineer Percy Spencer discovered a way to heat food safely with microwaves. He was working with an active radar in 1945, and he noticed that a chocolate bar in his pocket was melting. And the high-powered microwave beams created a heating effect, which was ideal for cooking. He deliberately attempted cooking popcorn first with microwaves. And next, he tried cooking an egg. Both the popcorn and the egg created dramatic results. However, the popcorn resulted in success, unlike the egg. The egg exploded in his fellow engineer's face. But he realized right then, Spencer worked for a company called Raytheon. He started experimenting with different methods of heating food safely with microwaves. Not an oven, but just the waves themselves. Raytheon filed a U.S. patent application for his microwave cooking process on October the 8th, 1945. Two years later, they built the first commercially available microwave oven. It was called the Rat Arrange. <laughs> don't know. Don't ask. I don't know why. A Rat Arrange. 90% of homes in the United States now have a microwave in them. And... Here's how you, it suggests today that you observe Microwave Oven Day. One, make crispy bacon. <laughs> radar range. Yeah, not radar range. It was radar range. All right, thanks, Steve. Yeah, too bad I couldn't figure that out. <laughs> radar, radar range. Make bacon. Number two, melt chocolate for that holiday treat. Number three, heat rice, flax, and bean-filled hot pads for achy muscles. What? Steamed vegetables, softened brown sugar, and loosen labels from jars. Why do you want to take the labels off? Radar range. I got it. Louvier corrected me as well. We got some smart people here, and I'm having one of those days. <laughs> Jeremy texts the show and says, popcorn with truffle salt. It'll change your life. Jeremy, can I be honest with you about something? I don't get the all the 
all the stuff about truffle this and truffle that. I don't get it. Okay, and people go, well, if you taste it, then you get it. No, you won't. Not everybody does. In fact, I mean, I've had lots of different things. You, know, you get tr you know, truffle fries, you're talking about truffle salt, truffle oil, and truffle this, and truffle that. And everybody's like, it's very expensive because it's so good. What do you mean so good? I mean, salt is salt. Don't mean truffle salt. You're saying truffle salt. What's the difference between truffle salt and some other salt, the way that it tastes? I'm just not buying it is what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's bad. It isn't. It's good. But you know what else is good? Real salt. Regular salt. <laughs> truffle oil. Oh, it tastes really good. Cook it in that. You know what else it tastes good cooked in? Any other kind of oil. And I think half the people in the culinary world that go like berserk about truffle this and truffle that is because they think it'll impress somebody. And then when you start to ask, a lot of these people describe it for me. They really can't. <laughs> Real unnamed texture. You, sir, get a laugh. He said, truffle shuffle. That's him. Shout out, Goonies. <laughs> and the truffle shuffle. We'll wrap it up next. Stick around. How about that? On National Microwave Oven Day, the very first uh, microwave oven produced commercially in 1947 because two years earlier, an engineer working for a company called Raytheon discovered you could heat stuff up, melt chocolate, and blow up an egg with microwaves. And Old Tackle just commented on the YouTube uh, Murray West live thread. And says, Raytheon now makes missiles, some of them, in Forest, Mississippi. Now, how about that? The origins of everything come right back to Mississippi. Now they're making missiles. Yeah, and I saw this too. So we had the news in the first hour today. I say news. It's really not news. We had the reports of rumors that Coleman Hutzler, linebackers coach, special teams coach Alabama, is going to go to state to be the defensive coordinator. And also the Internet is saying that Matt Barnes is going to be the co-defensive coordinator. And he's a safeties coach. I think he's been at where? Ohio State, and Memphis, and a few other places. So we'll see if and when all that comes uh, to fruition. Hey, look here. NCAA President Charlie Baker proposed rules changes yesterday that would give Division I schools, for the first time, the ability to pay their athletes in ways that are not 
tied to educational resources. All right, so President Baker, he shared those changes in a letter to member schools. So let's stop right there. Get this, just so you know. Charlie Baker, president of the NCAA, a letter goes out, I'm sure via email or whatnot, yesterday, a letter goes out via email or whatever, to yesterday, to all the schools, says, here's what I'm proposing. You can pay your own players. <laughs> here's the plan, okay, and then he kind of goes through what the plan is. Now, this is worth noting. There is, as we speak today, a sports business journal, some sort of panel thing going on. It's my understanding it's, where is it, Las Vegas or is it Washington? I don't know where they're having this thing, okay? But you got all kinds, like a big, you know, future of college athletics almost summit that's going on with the different speakers at different times and Q&As and all this. You've got presidents of schools that are there, athletics directors. Scott Strickland's there from Florida, for example. you got uh, conference commissioners who are there, part of different panels. And today, Greg Sankey says that the SEC knew nothing about this proposal prior to Charlie Baker sending out this letter yesterday. Greg Sankey says the SEC presidents are looking at him. They want to know why they didn't know about this before it came out yesterday with and became public. And then he also said today at this deal, he doesn't know the timeline for when they're going to finally get down to where they could even vote to say yes or no on something like this. There's lots of coverage out there. Like if you want to look it up, just look up. The uh, like go to X or Twitter and look up the hashtag SBJIAF, those letters. SBJ stands for Sports Business Journal. IAF stands for I don't know what. I, I, I don't know what it is. <laughs> but SBJIAF. And there's lots of tweets from media that are there covering it and all this kind of stuff. A lawyer, he is a former NCAA athlete. His name is Mitt Winter. He tweeted, Charlie Baker's athlete compensation model is the most progressive plan ever put forward by the NCAA, but implementation is uncertain, as a favorable federal law would still be needed. If the plan is implemented, collectives could go away or their functions could move in-house at the universities. Do you find that interesting? So in the proposed changes, if Division I schools want to adopt rules, they'd be allowed to enter into name, image, and likeness deals directly with the athletes, the school, the athlete, and then whoever else and whatever else. All right? And it's basically a way to pay the athletes through the athletics department. Collectives would not even be needed. And you go, wait a minute. I didn't think collectives existed out of need. I thought they existed as just basically a way to facilitate the relationships between third-party advertisers 
and brands with current college athletes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, they're needed, all right. You better have one. And you better be paying them rascals, too. So if they change this, then it goes in-house. Collectives are not needed anymore for this. We just get go straight through the athletics department. But it's a it's creating like a not a breakaway, but sort of a a sectioning off of a certain number of FBS schools who could afford to put this money in a trust fund. A minimum of thirty thousand dollars per student athlete at all these schools. Not all of them could afford it, but a bunch of them can. It was also noted today that every time Charlie Baker talks about this up there at this summit, he mentions a hundred schools. He'll say a hundred schools. He said that several times. So we talk about the subdivision in regards to the subdivision of teams. And so that that leaves what? That leaves about 30. If it, let's say it was a hundred who could afford to do it, who would do it. That leaves about 30 on the outside looking in. But there's only 60-some-odd power-something schools. There's a bunch of schools, too, that aren't necessarily Power 5 schools who he apparently thinks could be a part of this. They could create their own set of rules for recruiting, transfers, roster size, all kinds of other things. To be a part of that subdivision, each school would have to put millions of dollars each year into a trust fund for athletes. That's what they would have to do. Um, Gene Smith at Ohio State, quote, I am 100% supportive of your efforts. Schools in the new highest-paying subdivision would be required to set aside a minimum of $30,000 per athlete for at least half of their athletes on an annual basis. That money is basically to help athletes continue educational pursuits during the summer or after their careers, but there would be no requirements for how they spend it. Spend it on whatever. Buy yourself a car. Whatever. You know, put it away. Save it if you're smart. Satisfies Title IX. He wrote in this deal, this policy would help gender equity because the newly developed trust fund would also be required to follow Title IX law by equally distributing money to men and women. Any NIL payments made from schools to their athletes would also be subject to Title IX rules. You know why they're not going to vote on it anytime soon? Is because then they got to figure out what to do with scholarships. That's why. Toad texts the show and says, Hey, Matt, if the universities start paying the athlete, athletes become employees of the university and are subject to Social Security and federal and state taxes. Yeah, right? Well, okay, is that technically the case, though, Toe? And that's one thing, again, they'll have to work through that. I'm not smart enough to figure it out. But it's a deal where they're not saying they're going to pay them for their services. 
they're saying the schools are able to set this money aside in a trust fund and they're able to enter into NIL deals with their athletes themselves, eliminating the need of a third-party collective. Now, I'll be the first to admit, Toe, that I can I can read this stuff and kind of halfway sort of loosely grasp it, but that ain't a good grasp. That's for sure. And, you know, what the overall effects are and all that kind of stuff, I ain't the slightest idea. I don't have the foggiest idea. Okay. And so if that's the minimum, but here's the deal. That's the key word in all of this. If you were to fast forward and just go say, let's say hypothetically in five years, all this passes and everybody's doing it. Here's the deal. The $30,000 a year per student athlete, a minimum of half of your athletes, that $30,000 a year in the trust fund is also a minimum per athlete. Let me ask you this. You think Alabama's going to do the minimum? You think LSU is going to do the minimum? How much is in your, how much are you giving me? 30,000. That's half of what they're doing at Ole Miss. At LSU, that's a third of what they're doing at Ohio State. See y'all tomorrow. See ya.